Well, this morning we have the privilege of hearing uh, from someone that I, I think the church needs more of. Uh, I didn't say this the earlier services, Brad, but, but Brad's the kind of guy, he'll, he'll, he'll come and he'll kind of give you a little gut punch. And every pastor likes a guy that come and kind of do a gut punch to their church every once in a while. It's good for us. Um, and so there's pastors in the church and then there's those prophet-like people who are so good for us. So prepare yourself this morning. You're going to be appropriately challenged and I think appropriately made to feel um, uncomfortable about some very important matters. It's one of the reasons that we do this every year is to take some time to focus on Christ's last words. Um, and so Brad's our speaker today. He's been here before. Uh, you've heard his story. It was delightful. It was just uh, very impactful. Uh, his wife is here again with him this weekend. Beth, will you just wave at us and help me welcome Beth, his wife as well, to First Family. Will you do that for me? That's good. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, but they're going to be uh, providing uh, some insight for us this morning, Brad, especially after the service, of course, he'll be available to chat if you'd like some, uh, take some time to chat or have questions. But I want to just let you know, it's, uh, these are the very things that we need as we continue to focus on what matters most. So Brad, come give us a good gut punch from the Word of God. We need it. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to First Amendment. Welcome, Brad, would you? Look at this. <laughs> a gut punch. Okay. I don't know about that. You guys gave me a gut punch already with the snow this morning. <clears throat> yeah, that was completely unfair, unexpected. Uh, the other day I was walking across the border from uh, Tijuana back up into San Diego. It was 104 degrees. The day after that was 100 degrees. Most of last week it was 90 degrees. So, uh, yeah, nothing has prepared me for that nice, beautiful snow this morning. Uh, driving the 80, coming here to church, man, major crashes. You guys aren't prepared for it either, it seems. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I guess you got to get your snow wheels back every year or so. Uh, yeah, just a privilege to be back with you guys and to get to see Nick and Jenna and their, Nick and Jenna's folks. And yeah, it's just a thrill for us to come back here and be a part of a church that's sending its own people out to do something that is incredibly difficult. Uh, I loved uh, Jenna's thing. <laughs> what was the hardest thing? The heat. The heat. Uh, my wife and I, we served in Papua New Guinea for 20 years. It's pretty much the same latitude, longitude, or one of them. I guess it's longitude at that point. But, uh, oh my gosh, you, you know, you, you get used to it, sort of. But um, I remember being in the jungle and uh, looking up at the jets. And occasionally a jet would go off course, some Air New Guinea or JAL flight, you know, or Qantas. And it would, you could see the controls up there at 32,000 feet. And I'm sitting there in the jungle, just like, oh, dude, nobody on that plane is sweating Man, they're having coffee, and they feel like drinking coffee because they're so nice. You know, it's just yeah, having your skin. Uh, we used to go up to the highlands uh, once a year at a certain point in our life uh, and have field conferences. And uh, the, the, the CPIC missionaries were known to have smelly skin. We, we just live in mold. You just, and so your clothes are moldy. Everything's moldy. And uh, after a while, it's like a sign of pride because, yeah, that's where the real missionaries go, to the lowlands, to the CPIC. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I got saved when I was a senior in high school, and uh, three months after that, uh, due to the teaching of God's words from a youth pastor that I never really liked him, uh, but I respected him totally, uh, and uh, ended up taking an application for career missionary service, and uh, met my wife uh, in training, and we decided to go to a country called Papua New Guinea. We had to learn Melanesian uh, first language while we were there, and that's what they're doing with Bahamas. 
uh, with the language that they're learning. And uh, then we had to go interior and uh, uproot and uh, uh, learn a second language. And finally, after many years, we were able to share the gospel with the Teddy people. Uh, we lived among them for, like I said, a little over 20 years to make that. Uh, see believers come to the place where we could disciple them and then see them begin to function as a healthy reproducing church. So uh, we're not here to talk about that this morning. I really want to uh, take the next uh, many minutes and totally plagiarize things that my youth pastor uh, said to us as a group. We had the largest youth group in Southern California at the time, uh, 500 to 1,000 people meeting on Wednesday nights, high school folks meeting on Wednesday nights to listen to this guy that was truly anointed by God. And uh, <clears throat> the thing that he wanted us all to do is come to faith in Christ and then get out of here. He would stand up on a regular basis and tell us all, San Diego doesn't need another youth pastor. I've got it covered. Get out of here. Get out of here. And he'd bring in uh, missionaries all the time to talk about places that had never had a chance to hear. So after three months, based on his teaching and what Jesus said in his word, uh, I felt backed into a corner, uh, and I took an application for service, and off we went. <clears throat> uh, some of the things that he shared with us, so please, I, I, I've been praying. I went back there to the green room to just spend, spend some time with the Lord as a singing was going on. And uh, I'm just praying that you guys can read these verses as if you've never read them before. I know I'm looking at a lot of folks that have been in God's word for many years, and God bless you for that, but it's always a challenge for us to read these things uh, as if we've never heard Jesus saying that, as if it's stunningly new for us. So go back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. Um, we, could, we could go back to uh, Genesis 11 and start there and begin to see God's focus on having people from every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around the throne, worshiping him. We, we get the first thing, uh, the first understanding of the unique place of the tongue, of language, back in Genesis 11. When God wanted to disperse the peoples <clears throat> that were making the Tower of Babel, he didn't go down, it wasn't called the Tower, it was just a tower, it turned into the Tower of Babel because the Babel that came because of that. But he, God could have geographically just spread people out. He could have created different religions at that time. He could have done a lot of things to disperse the people, but he touched them at their tongue level. And then in Genesis 12, he begins the process of bringing them back. As he says to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all families on the earth, okay? The one thing that families have in common is they all speak the same language. They might have different religions. They might live in different locations, but they have the same language. And God is concerned about that. Why? I don't know. Why did God pick blood to be the substitute for our sin, to be the appropriate sacrifice? I don't know. But I know he has, and we come, because to, we come in good relationship to God because we've understood the unique place that the blood of Christ had in cleansing us from our sin. <clears throat> when it comes to missions, we must understand the unique place that language has because he does want, as we'll see again in Matthew and Luke specifically, and we could go on later on into the book of Revelation, this thing of the tongue, for some reasons, he's fixated on it. <clears throat> So we're, start, we're going to start back here in Matthew chapter 26 and just read the words of Jesus again as if you've never read them before. This is a night before uh, he got crucified and it's a Thursday night and he has just left uh, the place of the Last Supper. As they're going out, it says in verse 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Okay, a little directional, seems kind of random. I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. Why does he, you know, I'm going to do a lot of things. Why is he so specific about Galilee? You know, 
Could be anything. But turn over to Matthew chapter 28 now. <clears throat> and again, as if you're reading it for the first time, uh, we all know the events of the crucifixion, the, the death, burial, resurrection have even happened. And two of the ladies have gone to the tomb to, to go and see if anything uh, you know, has happened there. Anyways, the ladies have gone inside and uh, they're at the tomb. There's an angel and the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So we get the second reference to Galilee. What is going to happen in Galilee? Something obviously very uh, unique is going to take place there. <clears throat> and so the ladies are hurrying away from the tomb. And suddenly, verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What is going to happen in Galilee that is so important that three specific references to this thing of, I want to meet you in Galilee. There's going to be nothing random about this meeting in Galilee. What we know now is that 1,800 years of Jewish history is going to be turned on its head in Galilee. The Jews had been up until this point when they meet together in Galilee under the rightful assumption, the God-given assumption that we stay in the land, we obey the promise of, Je of Jehovah God, the nations will come to us, they'll see what it is to walk under the blessing of this real true God of heaven, and they will turn to the Lord God via that mechanism. But we stay in the land until this meeting in Galilee. And Jesus flips it completely. So we fast forward. We don't know if it was one week, two weeks, three weeks. <clears throat> it was somewhere in the 40 days there uh, where he was uh, interacting with them. And in verse 16, we pick up, again, a couple weeks later. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, where the mountain, <clears throat> to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So there's some specificity that we are not privy to. And they go to the specific mountain that Jesus had told them to go to. <clears throat> and I love this. Then in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I'm so glad that Matthew included that in. Some doubted. What was there to doubt? They hadn't beaten Jesus' face off. I mean, he was completely recognizable as Jesus. I mean, he might have had the scars still from the crown of thorns and holes there. We know that. Uh, I mean, so there were some scars going on, no doubt about that. But as far as what, what they doubted, what's there to doubt? Okay, the doubt is that people that get killed by the Romans on a cross don't live again. We don't have conversations with those guys again. What the heck is going on? This goes against everything I know. They doubted. They actually doubted. Instead of just falling at his feet and being stunned, this is awesome. Rejoice. Some doubted. <clears throat> I like Matthew putting that in because I think it speaks to our tendency to be skeptics. Our, our tendency to overthink, to be analytical to the point of freezing us. Uh, folks, the amount of folks that I have talked with regarding, should I pursue a future in missions? I don't know. I don't know. The doubt. They read their Bibles. They see how completely our God's heart is about this thing of getting the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. But that's not enough. I need more than that. I need a firsthand conversation with Jesus himself. I need to hear him audibly, and then I'll move. I've had that conversation more times than I can count. And the fact of the matter is, folks, based on the teaching of God's word, Jesus could walk through that, that door with flowing robes, toga, the whole thing. He could walk up and down the aisle. Okay, Namibia, Suriname, Ethiopia, 
Thailand, China, Indonesia. He could give you specific marching orders, and based on the word of God, the overall response would be, I don't think so. I don't think so. Come on, Moses. Moses on the mountain there, he's having that one-on-one interaction with God in the burning bush. And the burning bush, God himself in the And he knew it was God. He's not saying, is that you, God? Is that really you, God? No, hey, come on. He knew it was God. He takes off the, the shoes. <clears throat> and God says, get back to Egypt and bring my people out. What's his response? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know your name. I'm not really good you know, with language. I don't speak that well. I don't. He starts playing 20 questions with God. Even knowing with clarity he had heard the voice of God, he's playing 20 questions. He's trying to wear God down. Finally, God just takes him and puts him in a half Nelson, slams him to the mat, and Moses taps out and says, okay, I'll do it. But that's our, that's our humanness. Jonah gets direct revelation. Go over and preach to the people of Nineveh. I want them to repent. Does he say, is that really you, God? No, he knew it was God, and he goes 180 the opposite direction. And I love, I love when it gets down to the these are the These are the types of things I've heard so many times. <clears throat> well, God provided the money, and thus I'm doing this. God provided the money. You know what? God provided the money so that Jonah could buy a ticket to go to Tarshish, okay? He could say, and you know what? He had a piece about it, too. He goes down in the hold of the ship when the storm is raging, and he falls asleep. Everybody else is freaking out. Finally, people have to go down there and wake him up. I ha- I've got a real piece about this. When I was a missions pastor in my church, I had two men specifically come in and tell me they had a piece about divorcing their wife. You can get a piece about anything. But I'll tell you what, this will hem you in. And so Matthew says, some doubted. Thanks, Matthew, for putting that in there. <clears throat> That's me. That's me. I'll tell you what, man, the gyrations I went through as my youth pastor was teaching me this stuff, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it, it's fun to, uh, fun to see folks that have gotten past the gyrations and they show up at our campus like Nick and Jenna. Uh, I remember uh, seeing tears coming out of Jenna's eyes when, the, when they were really at that point of making the decision. And it's really fun when students come down and we've got a, a crazy amount of students right now. But uh, it, it takes them a while to admit, I'm scared and I don't want to do this. And that's pretty much the universal truisms for everyone there. I'm scared, and I don't want to do this. Excellent. You're in a great place to start. At least you can admit it. Now let's start trusting the Lord to get past those very, very normal things. Some of you, as you look at the possibility, and I know for a lot of folks I'm talking to, going overseas to do this thing that they're about to do, not in the cards. I would never counsel you to do that. There are a lot of young, healthy people here, too. And it absolutely is in the cards for you guys. You really need to have a very good reason. And the only reason I can think of is I've gone to the leadership of my church and my church says no. Because based on what Jesus is about to say, we all ought to be reporting for duty. Reporting for duty. You speak, I obey. And the first step in obedience, you're going to your local leadership. I got to step forward. Here am I, Lord, send me. Does my church think I'm cut out for this? Jesus gives the introduction that's stunning. Verse 18 after, after the doubting verse, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That is the most powerful preamble in all of scripture. Nothing comes closest. This is the risen Lord Jesus Christ standing there in the flesh, and he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth. Every realm you can conceive of, oh, there's a lot more realms. You just don't know about them. 
All authority in every realm is mine. I'm the king of kings, I'm lord of lords. And thus, I'm not getting into a discussion with you, I'm giving orders. I'm the one who hung on a cross, shed his blood, so you could have life. I bought you, you're mine. That's the preamble. He is very truly, and I got to translate this. It's really easy to translate. There's a lot, man, Jesus' parables, they're tough to translate. This stuff, really easy. What he is saying, the tone of his voice, Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm giving orders. Not a discussion, not a dialogue, not looking for feedback. All you need to do is salute and obey. It's really simple, folks. For those going overseas, simple, hard, scary, but simple. For those staying, hard, too, because you're not going to retire. You're going to work like crazy so this nut thing can get off the ground. You're going to work like crazy because the next people coming from this church, they're going to need to be. The people, everybody who stays doesn't get a pass. Us who are staying now, we're raising our sons and daughters to be expendable for our king. We don't get a pass. We raise them differently. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because that is the case, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The very first part of that we need to focus on because that's the issue, going to all nations, to all nations. The word nation there, pantata ethni, the phrase is translate nations, does not have anything to do with going to New Guinea, Indonesia, China, Ethiopia, Lesotho. Mm, not even in focus. What is, what is in focus is we go to the ethnically, linguistically differentiated languages. Folks, because we have just sent people overseas, we're not focusing on language groups. We continue to just send and send and send, and we're making very little progress in completing the Great Commission. We've got to become more strategic. We really must become more strategic. <clears throat> the whole thrust there, all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He, again, he's not giving a suggestion. He's not giving something that we should contemplate. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> for quite a few years, I uh, taught at a Christian college in L.A. And a uh, wonderful time. really enjoyed it. And <clears throat> uh, one of the, uh, after a couple of years, they, they figured out I'm the missions, one of the missions profs. And so they would call me, some jungle missionary, hey, Professor Buser, uh, I just want you to know I'm really open to missions. Professor Buser, I'm really looking into missions. I'm, I'm really praying about missions. And th these noble-sounding phrases and I didn't know what to do with that. I'm not real quick on my feet. And finally, I'm driving back from L.A. to San Diego one evening. And, and it kind of hit me. It kind of hit me. It'd be like me telling my wife, hey, honey, I just want you to know, I'm really praying about the idea of being faithful to you. I'm really open to the idea of being faithful to you. I'm considering being faithful to you. I'll tell you what. Man, I don't know about your wife, but I would be castrated in a nanosecond if I were to ever try some of those gyrations. Because the fact is, my wife can figure out the difference between all those cool-sounding phrases and obedience to the concept is everything. Do we think God's stupid? God, I'm open. I'm praying about. I'm looking into the idea. You know, the hardest step in this whole thing of walking away from a wonderful place like Ankeny, mid-Iowa, USA, is... The hardest step is the first step. I was telling the young lady here uh, after the second service that she's looking into missions. 
Hardest step's the first one. There's a lot of other hard steps, but the first one, to walk away from the secure jobs, the life, the family, the churches, just not just the security and the safety, but all that that means, the warm blanket for your kids to enjoy. Then the teams, the traveling teams, oh, just, man, life's awesome in Iowa. And to say, I'm living for that. Because I want to? No, I really don't want to. Because I'm not afraid? I'm totally afraid. But my Savior has spoken clearly. How can I do other than this? Mark chapter 16, turn over there. Matthew and Mark, uh, both are <clears throat> accounts of when Jesus was on a mountainside in Galilee. That will become more important as we go on. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. The end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, we'll see at the end of Luke and John too. My dad was in the U.S. Navy. I think I told you this, or it was earlier service. He joined up December 8th, 1941. He went in, uh, went directly to Pearl Harbor. Then they siphoned him off in the nuclear weapons program. And he would be off blowing off atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs. I didn't know what he did as a kid, but I knew this. that uh, my dad. I learned uh, the meaning of orders as a kid. Uh, outstanding orders, contravening orders, standing orders, last orders. Last orders supersede everything else. I don't get to carve out my little niche. When last orders are in opposition to my niche, I do the last orders. My dad taught me that. The things that, because when he took off to go out, blow off bombs, which is what I found out years later, he gave me a list of things to do. I better get it done. As your brother in the Lord, I'm not trying to rebuke, but I am trying to prepare you to see your Savior. I know for many of you, it's hard to read these like you've never read them before. You've read them so many times. It almost becomes like white noise in the jungle. Just the cicada, the background noise. All through in heaven, go and make disciples all them. We'll read it again as we close. Just white noise. Just trying to prepare you, folks. The last things your Savior said will probably be the first things he asks you about. You saw what, I written, what was written in my word. You heard the tone of my voice, and you did what with your life? Really? Turn to Luke chapter 24. Let's see it over there again. Luke 24 is a different location. This is in a room in Jerusalem. <clears throat> that much we know. Jesus comes to these guys, and he meets them in a room in Jerusalem, he comes in, he's going to actually, this is to me the coolest thing. I can't even imagine this. Jesus is going to lead him in a Bible study. Now, we know he was walking with the guys on the road to Emmaus, and he explained to them. He opened the scriptures to them. But he wasn't literally in a room sitting down with them. But now, I can imagine him with the scrolls even bringing this out. I have this whole thing, mental image in my head. <clears throat> but in Luke 24, verse 45, says this, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. How cool is that? Jesus is leading the Bible study. So what's Jesus going to focus on when he gets to declare the focus? Well, there's two things right away that he doesn't focus on. He doesn't focus on the family, and he doesn't focus on finances. Uh, I, I say that because too, it's too easy to focus on those things. He doesn't focus on security, health, you know, politics, a lot of other things. My wife and I on our <coughs> furlough, in 1995, I think it was, <clears throat> they all blend together after a while. When you get as crazy old as I am, everything blends together. But uh, <clears throat> so we're, we're on this furlough, and uh, there was going to be a, a guy coming to San Diego, well-known Christian uh, figure that has done much for the cause of Christ. I appreciate him greatly. And we're going <clears> to <throat> be part of a group that's honoring him, all the, the pastors of the bigger churches in San Diego. And we're sitting out in the crowd, 
and uh, you know, eating our cold chicken. They're having the good stuff up there. And there's a few hundred of us, and they're up on the die and, <clears throat> and saying wonderful things, de- deserved things about this man. And then he stood up to accept the award, and uh, he spoke for about 15 minutes, his comments. And you've talked talk for 15 minutes. You're going to say a couple sentences you regret, so I'm not holding this against him. But in the course of his comment, he, he made this statement. Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. People start clapping, and then they stand up and clap. And I'm, I'm trying, wait a second, your highest goal in life? Yeah, and, and finally, I had to stand up. I wasn't going to be one guy sitting there, my wife standing up clapping. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, we sat down after that, and uh, we're driving back to our house. And it, it hit me. Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord? Really, after that, you just sit back and eat bonbons? My highest goal in life is to raise Christian kids for the Lord. That'd be like me saying, hey, Todd, make it your highest goal in life not to burn down the Iowa State Capitol building. You, brother, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine on your street corner. Sister, make it your highest goal in life not to engage with human trafficking. Really? That's our highest goal? That's like, duh, Christianity 101. Of course we don't sell crack and burn down buildings. Of course, of course we raise Christian kids for the Lord. That's not our highest goal. That is not our highest goal. That's a, of course we do that. The fact is, folks, we don't get to carve out our highest goal. Your highest goal individually, as a family, as a church, your highest goal was given you by the one who hung on the cross. He says, this is your highest goal. And we'll see it here in Luke as we read the next two verses. Our highest goal in life is to make him known among every tongue, tribe, and nation. So Jesus, he leads the Bible study. Where does he go? The two things he focuses on. First thing is verse 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Praise God. What's the highest message, the number one message of all of scripture? The gospel. God looked down from heaven. He sent his son. We have a savior. Our sins can be forgiven. They have been forgiven. Folks, I hope every day that at some point in the day, I'm forgiven. I'm a son or daughter of the living God. I have a sure home in heaven. Don't, don't let gratitude for that ever become a Sunday school thing. Oh, I learned that in the first grade in Sunday school. That's not Sunday school stuff. That's, that's upper level Christianity. A deep, life-changing gratitude that grips us regularly. The gospel. That's the gospel. Number two thing that Jesus picks out from Genesis to Malachi. I'm not making this up. I didn't get in your Bibles and scribble this in there. This is actually what's written. Verse 47 And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, all ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples beginning at Jerusalem. And it did begin at Jerusalem. And it has not gotten to 3,100 languages today. How can that be? One reason, we just keep sending missionaries overseas. Do you know when I was a missions pastor at my church, my, my senior pastor told me very clearly, Brad, you're the bad cop. I'm the good cop. As people have ideas of what they want to do, if it's not in line with our church goals, your idea is to gently let them down, and then they come to me and cry on my shoulder. Because we weren't going to support their ideas. We wanted to complete the Great Commission, and I shut down a lot of ideas. Wonderful people had great things they wanted to do for God, but not on our nickel. We've got limited lives, limited resources, and we're serious about the Great Commission. Folks, we can complete the Great Commission if we will, and not to... I don't want to get into a whole strategic thing. But folks, it can be done. But we have to reevaluate what we're doing here. Every nation, 
every nation. Why do we do this? Why do families like this, other families that are down there now, phenomenal people? We've been commanded. It's that simple. Nobody wants to do this. Who in the world would want to do this? Oh my gosh. If I ha- Seriously, sometimes I'm talking to a 17-year-old and it's like, I want to do this. No, you don't. Man, you're crazy. You need counseling or something like that. Yeah, I was just reading yeah, the passage in Matthew 26. Jesus, a couple of pa- verses after. He, he's looking at the cross. He's looking at the cross coming ahead of him. And he falls to his knees. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus wasn't passionate about going to the cross. That wasn't his passion. It wasn't his desire. He wasn't wired to not feel nails in his hands. But he finished that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That must begin to be our response to this clear command. He wants to reach the nations. I hate it, but I'm in. Because I've called you my Lord and Savior long enough. I cannot dodge this thing. When we were living among the Italians for about a year, our second son, Brandon, he came down with malaria. And uh, we didn't know that for a couple days, but the fever kept cycling. And finally, on a Tuesday morning, we decided, okay, let's just, Beth was going to crush up some camaquin and shove it down his throat. That's the nice, mild, anti-malarial thing you can do for your kids when they get uh, malaria. And uh, about a half hour later, he threw that up. And uh, so she had to drop an injection and and give him a shot. And we felt like, man, that's going to kick it. That would really do the trick. And uh, dang. Uh, fever kept going up, 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 103, 103 and a half. Man, surely it's going to break in the night. We woke up Wednesday. It didn't break, man, 103 and a half, hanging there, 104. 12 o'clock, his eyes start rolling. 12 in the afternoon, it's hotter than heck out there. His eyes start rolling. We realize we're losing our son. And uh, we called out immediately to the nearest guy. His name was Tom. Tom, can you come and get us? And Tom had a boat he could get fur- further upriver than anybody else, and we'd have to hike down the trail. And we knew we couldn't meet Tom until probably 6.30, Thursday morning, and we just prayed all through the night. Other missionaries were praying for the life of our son. We got up real early, about four o'clock, and got my son, hiked, went down the ladder of our house, and you know, our other son, Teddy, got carried on. And we walked through this little clearing that would become our airstrip, and we got to where the village was and uh, the big trail that we we're going to go down for a few hours so we can meet up with Tom. And uh, there's a bunch of you Teddy men, they're about eight guys, and they're standing there, and, and they obviously want to, uh, they want to they talk. I can't talk their language yet. There's only four guys that spoke Melanesian that I could speak Melanesian. And so we had this one guy who happened to be up, and he's going to interpret, and, and <clears throat> I'm stopping, and they're blah, 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 talking in that crazy ooga booga land, you know, language. And uh, finally, the interpreter, you know, tells me, they, they want to know what you're doing. And I turned Brandon's head around. I said, can't you see my son? He's nearly dead. And I said it to him, and then he said it to the guys. You know what they did? They, they started laughing. Talking, laughing. Man, I'm furious. I'm, I'm telling the interpreter, hey, what are they saying? What are they saying? Mm-mm. He didn't want to tell me. What are they saying? Finally, after cajoling him for quite a while, what they were saying was this. He's dead already. Go back to your house. He'll die completely this afternoon. You can bury him here. You can have more kids. Grow up. <sighs> Folks, I wanted to reach across and start pulling their <laughs> throats right out of their bodies. I wanted to watch them flip on the ground. I wanted to watch blood spread. I hated those guys with the red, hot, white anger. They were so cavalier about the life of my son. They did not know what we had given up to be among them. They did not know that we don't have a 65% mortality rate where we come from. We expect most of our kids to live. Easy come, easy go. They don't even name their kids until they're two years old among the Uh, We're not like that. We think different. We prize this one here. 
And all I could do is turn my son's head around and start walking down the trail. <clears throat> I was going to do something bad if I didn't. Guys, why do I tell you that story? Because I think it's really important for us to understand. We don't go to these people. These guys are not going to be going to these folks in Indonesia because they're so sweet, so nice, so worthy. A soul there where they're going is worth so much more to God than a soul in Ankeny. Uh, and, and they're going to so appreciate. We don't... The, the people group they're going to and the neediness, the, the facial and the, the poverty or whatever it looks like, that's not really the issue. It's part of the issue, but it's not the real issue in this. We've got so much, they've got so little, so let's go there. That's pretty juvenile. <clears throat> that's not the issue. And the issue also isn't us. I want to. I don't want to. I'm cut out for this. I'm called to this. I'm not called. I, we're not the central issue in this either. They are not, and we're not. Folks, we must come back. If this is authoritative at all, we must come back to this. The reason I can encourage you guys that are young enough and healthy enough and are spiritually growing in the right direction that this, this church will say, yeah, we see it. Keep going forward. That I will encourage you is because we've been commanded by God's word. And if you are young and healthy and you don't report for duty to your church leaders, here I am, I have no good reason not to, except I'm afraid and I don't want to. You'll be living a life of disobedience. I don't think this church is gonna send everybody that comes to them. They can't afford it. But there should be a flood. And for those who are staying behind, we raise our sons and daughters to be expendable. We work till we drop. We support at a ridiculously costly level, those who will go. And we pray the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up more. Because our Savior, he's not our friend. He's not a nice guy who came and walked around and showed us how to you know, heal blind people and feed thousands. He's our Savior. We have life because of him. Right. He commanded us. That's right. I don't need to hear anything. You know, my dad couldn't understand this when I went into missions, but he taught me this. He modeled this all his life. 45 years in the Navy, December 8th. You join. You do your job. You do your job. It baffled him. I don't have time to tell you more about that. Folks, we do our job, and as followers of the Lord Jesus, this is what he wants to get done. Is it your passion or my passion? Not really, but it's his passion, and his passion must trump ours. Let's go over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. <clears throat> Again, this is after the resurrection, another interaction with his followers. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Man, he's still got the holes in his hands. Okay, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, and they had a very strong visual of the cross, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I led the way. I did it first. I left heaven. I left perfection. I was good. Heaven trumps it. I left it. And I came down here and I lived among you, taught, and ultimately I died to pay for your sins. Now I'm sending you in the same way. Folks, we cannot get around these things. And I'm not trying to, I am not trying to gut punch you, but as your brother, I'm trying to remind you, this is pretty real right now. This will be a mirage. 
Someday you're going to see the one who's going to fill your senses with the reality you were made to live for eternal things. Not this. This is a delusion. And the little sugar pills that our culture feeds us, going to the mall, going to the movie, going out for dinner, having family over for Sunday dinner, the sugar pills that will rob us of living for the thing that alone is real. As your brother, don't do it. Just a warning based on God's word. Heaven is so real. And this is a mirage. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I'll close with this passage. By the way, Brandon, uh, he lived. The the fever broke going down the trail. Uh, He ended up getting a degree in mathematics. And then he announced to us that he was heading back to PNG. He's back there right now even uh, with his wife and five kids. And uh, they've uh, learned the language. They've got a, a neat church going out there. And uh, he was actually the graduation speaker at Radius a couple years ago. And then he took off to go back to New Guinea. They've been there for 14 years now. Acts chapter 1, the last passage I'll go into. So we've seen Jesus talk on a mountainside in Galilee. We've seen him talk in a room in Jerusalem. Now we're seeing him. The, the, the location is very specifically the Mount of Olives right outside of Jerusalem. Third location, same message. That's why I'm telling you as my brothers and sisters, When you see Jesus and this mirage is done for good, what did you do to help complete the Great Commission? This isn't a side issue to him. This isn't an issue that you can say, well, Todd's really worked up about it, and we've got some guys out there, we've got this family, and we've got some other families, some partners, and our church is doing a lot. Your church, don't you try to slide slide on the coattails of your church. How many vacations are you missing? How many of your kids are you planning to dedicate to go reach a language group? How much loss are you willing to comprehend and to deal with? To see the Great Commission because my Savior, the one who died for me, who won, I'm, I'm going to see his face. It's going to be so real. I know this seems really real. You know what seems real to me? That I was 17 years old just about two minutes ago. Seriously. I'm a 1,000 years old now. I was 17 yesterday, okay? It goes by so fast, and you're going to stand in his presence. My brothers and sisters, my friends, I was trying to give you a heads up. And the part that you personally, not even your spouse, you personally, are you praying for your kids? God, give them a heart for eternal things. Don't let me manipulate. Do you know that the, the, <laughs> the youth pastor in our church, he has told me of families in our church that they could pay the college tuition for their kids, but they intentionally want their kids to get into debt because our church says we have about a tenth of our membership overseas as career missionaries. And they know that if their kids grow up in, this, in our church, there's a good chance they're going to be going overseas as a career missionary. So the plan for some parents is to have their kids accrue enough college debt that in the paying off of the debt, they'll lose that red hot fire. They'll get lukewarm. They're planning on it. They're hoping for it. They're actually manipulating for it. How's that? What's that going to be like to stand before the Lord Jesus? Acts chapter 1, mountainside right outside of <clears throat> Jerusalem. It says in verse 6, so Jesus has this one-on-one meeting or time with his disciples. Verse 6, it says this. <clears throat> so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Good question. Not a bad question at all. Based on Old Testament prophecies, major minor prophets, it was a very valid expectation that following the coming of the Messiah, Israel would be restored to national greatness. So there's nothing dumb about their question. They wanted to have a Bible study on end times. They want to study eschatology. Anything wrong with that? Of course not. Man, we get encouraged when we read about the end times. This is going to burn up someday. It's going to be gone. Jesus is coming back for us. There's nothing but great stuff ahead of you for you and I. 
But Jesus isn't going to take his last time with them and talk about eschatology. He's not going to talk about how to raise families. He's not going to talk about politics. He's not going to talk about a litany of valid things. He realizes I've only got one more thing to put into my disciples' ears, and I don't want any of those things occupying ear time for them. And so his response to their well-intentioned question is this. He said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You don't need to know that. You'll get that information later. John, you're going to write a ton of stuff about end times. Peter, you're going to write some things. Guy right now, his name is Saul. He's, he's walking around with Saul. He's going to turn into Paul. He'll write some stuff. To, you'll get that. Not critical. What is critical is for you to understand what my heart is about and what I want you doing. So there's no vagueness in here. Does Jesus really want me to do this? Oh, please. Really? I trust we've addressed that. Now it's just specifically where do you fit in? It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's a fourfold thrust. Jerusalem's been reached. You don't live in Jerusalem. You live in Ankeny. And there's still unsaved people in Ankeny. So keep our mouths open. Let's keep share, let's gospelize Ankeny. Not based off of this verse, just based off the fact that we're Christians that share our faith. Let's not abuse the text. Jerusalem's been reached. Judea's been reached. My sisters worked there for years. There are churches, healthy churches in Judea, and even in Samaria. Let's look at the verse and what it says. But the ends of the earth? Mm-mm. 2,000 years, over 2,000 years since Jesus said this. 3,100 languages still with nothing of the gospel. That's the Great Commission in Acts. There it is. It'll set the tone for the rest of the book, how the the message began to spread out. Where do you fit in, folks? Where do you fit in? If you're not asking that question, man, I, I, I was praying there, but before I came here, just praying that the, the typical lunchtime conversations would not happen. If you have to sit in silence, And think about this. Where are we as a family fitting into this? Can we do more? How can we do that? Have we talked to our missions committee? Where would they like, what would they like us to do? Are are you of an age where you can go? If you are of an age that you can go, your health is there, you better have a really good reason for not reporting for duty to your church leadership. It's their call. I don't know. I, I can't make that call. And it's not for everybody. If you can't live high stress, if you're emotional, there's a lot of things that will preclude you. And I'm not going to get into that vetting process. There is a vetting process. I am not one to say everybody who raises their hands ought to be going overseas. But to be young enough and healthy enough, and I'm not talking about high school, college. I'm talking about 20s, 30s. To be young enough and healthy and, and go right on without reporting for duty, I really believe you'll regret that. To know these verses... I'm not saying there aren't reasons for 20s and 30-year-olds to stay. But the first step ought to be, I don't make that decision on my own. I have church leadership. I am under their spiritual authority. I submit to that. I'm not the North American 21st century Lone Ranger. Not in something as big as this. When my Savior has spoken so clearly, I've got to respond. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.